0: interested and you know it's providing less value right and so i proposed the idea behind automated reporting and you know a lot of people when you think of automated reporting you think of like can text or like you know just the same duplicate stuff across multiple customers but you know with logic you could basically tailor things to different people based on what you've seen in the pen test so i never forget i went on site uh, on the west coast and i did a pen test and saw so much stuff that it was going to take me like two weeks to write the report. That was probably going to be the longest report in my my career. And so rather than like spending all of that time, you know, copying and pasting the icons back and forward, asking this consultant, hey, do you have an updated finding for this and all that nonsense? I spent the entire week studying Word and Mail to like basically break down Word documents and build them back up Mm -hmm. to the point where I was able to do that pretty efficiently and eventually had a reporting framework that was saving me more and more time over time. Um, And so, but the platform basically you know when i when i decided to start it i was like well I, you know when i think about it there's a lot of things that i i, I you know do um there's a lot of things that i, I do over and over and over when i go on site some of the same things right mm-hmm. uh, a lot of pentesters have their host discovery techniques whether it's you know ping sweeps ARP scans whatever the case is they have a technique and once they get that back then things change mm-hmm. right depending on what you see open things change based on that so um and a lot of pen testers have their own tools to kind of automate a lot of things like OSINT, things like that. But I wanted to take that and, you know, uh, escalate it to other things like, you know, actually, pen, you know, actually uh, exploiting things, getting the results, analyzing the results, figuring out if I need to go even further. And so that's pretty much how we got started. And when I first started the platform, you know, I kind of was like everybody else. Well, you know, automation, you still need a human. Uh, I probably can't do a lot of stuff, but I think as we've been able to prove it over time, you know, mm. it really hits me like every month. I'm like, wow, we really automated that. It's crazy.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember <clears throat> when uh, Saint Exploit came out and they had kind of like an auto router built into their appliance. Um, so it, it was sort of the same along the same lines but they didn't do the automated reporting. They didn't do, um, they didn't automate a lot of things although mm-hmm. it did do auto routing once it found vulnerable services or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but you had to initiate scans. So how do you set yourself apart from like, let's say rapid Southern and Expos or people mm-hmm. like St. Corporation?
0: Yeah. So, um, you know, I've seen, I've, I've done a lot of 1099 work for a lot of companies work, you know, at a few, I've got a lot of friends from Acuvant who have gone over to other companies. And so, uh, typically, you know, we try to, so I know pen, automated pen testing is still like a new thing, right? You hear it, but you don't really believe it until you see it. And so um, we really try to, you know, push even further with, when it comes to the exploitation, man-in-the-middle attacks, cracking hashes. We try to get that in people's faces so they can actually see that, hey, this is possible. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we'll get a, we'll come across a company who's like, yeah, you know, we we use you know Nessus for this and you know uh, Rapid7 tools for this, um, but then we show them like the, you know what we do in the product and the report and all of that, and it's, it really sets it apart by automating the exploitation, the man in the middle attacks, being able to do that intelligently without having to just massively like throw things at every, every, every system. So uh, but yeah, we 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 focus on like the efficiency, right? Mm-hmm. I know a lot of automated tools don't don't pre- present like the best reports. And so we've spent a lot of time and making sure that the reports are actually valuable, right? At the end of the day. So uh, also the efficiency, right? the time that it takes. I mean, we take an eight hour reporting process and reduce it to like not having to do anything at all, except QA it uh, from time to time. So, uh, but yeah, those are some of the things.
1: Very cool. So do you, have you built like a community around the platform? Can people contribute or, you know, is there an API? I mean, what, what else is there to the platform that, that you're going to share with the community?
0: Yeah. So right now we haven't done anything, um, like as far as, you know, opening up any kind of projects to, uh, uh, like the community just yet mm-hmm. um, but so right now we, we pretty much develop everything in-house we control everything in-house um, and we just let partners kind of get access to the tool to run cool. it on our clients networks yep cool
1: so anybody else have any questions for Alton and ryan i think yep, ryan would totally. uh-huh. so go ahead
2: hey man sorry sorry about that Hey, so I'm, I was curious with all the automation stuff that your company, can you hear me all right? Mm-hmm. With all the automation that you're doing with these um, processes, uh, does that mean that you can run the team with less people? And if so, uh, does that create opportunities for new guys to come in the
0: ground level or? Yeah. So um, basically this, all of the stuff that consultants typically do like for the first you know, few days um, or even weeks, depending on like how long the engagement is, uh, they can use the platform to basically automate that ground level work, right? Rather than looking to see if the system has eternal blue, rather than spending the time even exporting it, right, we could do that for them. And they can just basically take the results and be like, all right, well, let me look at some printers to see if there's some email addresses I can enumerate and start looking at application stuff. So uh, we, we take a lot of that work that they would typically do I spent a lot of time analyzing and uh, automating that.
1: That's sweet.
2: So when you've got third parties coming in, how do you um, you guarantee your quality of service for your product? Like, do you oversee the results that they then pass on to their clients? Or is uh, how do you keep that brand, you know, shiny?
0: Yeah. Yeah, so uh, when we first started the platform and we started automating the reporting process, uh, we would typically QA every single report just to make sure that there are no, like, errors in the tools or something said it was vulnerable and it wasn't. Um, and then over time, We've kind of went into a different process where we actually just like set flags depending on certain things that happen in the reports. So typically, um, you know, if there's something that is kind of unusual across multiple engagements, uh, we'll take a look at that to make sure that, you know, the results are accurate. But otherwise, if it's like a very common, you know, uh, like attack surface between different customers, then we've set up processes already to automate like the QA of that. If that makes sense. Yeah, so it
2: does.
0: So,
2: third and last question How do you, um? how do you, let c-levels know like about the, like the return on investment for your for your service like you know the automation thing is it's not the traditional traditional route they're not they're used to going down how do you how do you explain to them like this is this is going to get rid of the low-hanging fruit and it's worth your money
0: yeah so um i know a lot of times like executives they spend like tens of thousands of dollars for a pen test right and it typically is like a two three return around depending on the, the engagement and so one of the things that we, we talk about is um, the continuous model, right? So a lot of companies would do continuous pen testing, but it's just so expensive, right? Who's gonna pay 10 grand every three months to do a pen test, right? That's just, just you know, it's, it's just a little bit too, too much. So we like to kind of uh, mention that, you know, we could, because we're automating things, we can take the price down significant, significantly, which would allow you to do a more of a, of a continuous pen test, right? Yeah. So if you do a pen test in January, something comes out significant in, in February, right? Maybe Nessus won't see it because it requires authentication, and they're not doing authenticated scanning. Or if we do a pen test, and let's say we are able to exploit something, then we could see that before your next annual pen test. So uh, I think we, I think the annual, I mean, uh, the continuous model really, really kind of hits home for a lot of uh executives.
2: Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really good what you're doing because it brings down the that entry level to actual quality pen testing. Like, so smaller businesses can be have this service available to them as well. Mm-hmm. Good stuff.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Yep.
0: We appreciate it. Definitely. With
1: the with HP, we did a lot of um, going into companies and building their red teams form. And if we would have had an automated platform to take care of the just the you know the pen testing side of it, could have gotten deeper with the actual you know red teaming and, and threat intel. Uh, because a lot of those tasks you're talking about, like the scanning, like if you go into an ISP and, and you're doing it like internal pen test and you have you know 20 net blocks you know, you're looking at, at, at a week <laughs> of scanning, you know, it's not, right. it's not something you can babysit 24 hours a day. Um, yeah, so a you know? yeah. Yeah. Expensive. I, I did one it up in uh, Rochester, New York for an ISP. And the amount of IP addresses that we had was just insane and they wanted <laughs> everything covered. So with a platform like that, that would make things a lot easier, you know, just set things to go on fire. Um, <laughs> and another good bonus point, and I think it will sell to any pen tester is the fact that, the reporting, right? So, oh, yeah. I don't oh. know a single tester that loves pen, pen testing and doing reports. Like, the pen testing, yeah. You know, but the reporting, no. And especially when right. you get into, like, FedRAMP, right? You do FedRAMP assessments and, yeah. What's becomes, the FedRAMP? FedRAMP is like a government um, kind of a pen test that rates them if you're a government service provider. Um, and it's all government compliance and and Yeah. Databases and and check check marks. And it's a nightmare. But the reporting for that takes weeks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and with the reporting, I mean, I know we all can relate to like spending all of this time on a report, submitting it to QA. QA is like, oh, you know, this should Mm -hmm. be a medium. You changed it to a medium. Oh, you forgot to add, you know, adjust the chart. Like who yeah. really wants to deal with that? <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean. So,
1: and then, and then, you, then you get some of them that want to argue the uh, findings. You know, even right. though it's it's <laughs> the CVE says this, and the, you know it's a critical, they want to argue the findings for another two weeks. So yeah, or if they didn't they didn't
0: update it, or they updated it and they didn't send it out, and you got to find out who has a finding for this. That's ridiculous. You know. Yeah.
1: Now if we just get a, like a clone of me or you, and and have them talk to the client as well, we'd be done, man. so where where do you see the industry going from here you know i I hear a lot of people toss around the buzzword ai and and Mm -hmm. machine learning and stuff like that um i'm from the thought school that true ai doesn't exist yet Mm -hmm. that we're still looking for that Mm -hmm. and i think it'll be a while before we see that in our industry where it's truly ai Mm -hmm. um so where do you see it going from here as far as pen testing and, and how far do you want to see automation taken
0: Yeah. So I think, um, it's been very interesting over the last like few years, but when it comes to automation, like if you Google automated pen testing, like once every six months, you'll be surprised at like how many different companies are trying to to get into it. And so I think like a lot of the bigger companies who are spending, you know, a lot of money on salaries, and then the clients are spending a lot of money on those engagements. Um, they're really going to see it kind of hit, you know, in a few years when you start to see a lot more companies, you know, um, start to uh, get more market share, you know, when it comes to pen testing. And so, um, you know, and, and again, just kind of going back to like all of those manual tasks, um, you're going to see pen testers who are working at companies get tired of reporting and they're going to go out and build their own thing. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to, you know, it's it's are going to learn how or get somebody to help them out or something. So I feel like, you know, um, especially at the pace that things come out these days, you know, vulnerabilities and and, you know, you forget to check something else because you attention to this. So I think we're going to see a lot more automation in place um, in, the, in the next few years when it comes to pen testing, because it's so expensive. And it's not fair that smaller companies can't afford it because they're so expensive. So they're just targets sitting out there, you know, hoping for the best.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think uh, when you talk about targets sitting out there, that brings up another point. Um, let's talk about solar winds. Um, and let's talk Mm -hmm. about, you know, what's happened since then. And, uh, you know, how important it is to, to get a real pen test and, and to actually look at the data and try not to fight the data. Um, I think with, with SolarWinds, we're seeing a lot of people. I know there's a lot more affected that's actually coming out and saying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also with the Florida Water Treatment Center, um, mm-hmm. if they would have been doing routine pen tests, they would have seen that team viewer was probably very vulnerable because I doubt they've like patched it since last August. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let's talk about that and, and, and how, the, how the tool reports the vulnerabilities, right? Because I know mm-hmm. a lot of tools will just report the vulnerability in the day it came out. Um, one thing that I wanted to, to see in a tool is a breakdown of when that client or when that company that created the tool thinks that that vulnerability should be remediated in what window—30, mm-hmm. 60, 90. Um, a lot of people set their own mm-hmm. scoring system internally for time frame for patching, mm-hmm. um, but I think with with a pen tester, it would be really cool to be able to put that in a report and say, "Hey, look, this has been out since the last." June mm-hmm. and you're way past the 90 day window. And this is a critical, like more validation on that vulnerability. What do you think All about right. that?
0: Yeah, I totally agree. You know, cause a lot of companies, they're just on vulnerability scans and like they see vulnerabilities, but it don't really mean anything to them just yet. Right. They see it, but they're like, yeah, we'll get to it. They don't really know what the potential impact is just on a vulnerability assessment. The vulnerability assessment just says, Hey, this is vulnerable. You know, is pretty bad. If somebody was to exploit it, then it could be real. It could be even even more bad, right? But uh, with the pen test, they could actually take that right and actually demonstrate the impact. Like when you show somebody, you know, access to confidential data, social security numbers, credit, PI, like that hits home a lot harder than saying that, hey, if somebody was to exploit something, yeah. this could happen. So uh, I think you know that's really like the value that we try to provide in the pen test is, hey. This is really bad. Like I know necessary. you know, this might be a medium, but this is how we took that medium and we actually did something with it. Here's your password by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny you say that because a lot of those tools um, actually don't take in consideration the environment around it, right? So it'll see a vulnerability exactly. and be like, "Oh, this is a this is a low," but the way that they have the network architected, it could absolutely be like a medium or exactly. vice versa. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, so that that's another thing that that pen testers I know have I've had issues with, with clients before, you know, explaining the, the criticality of vulnerabilities and, and you really can't fight with a CVE score, right. um, <laughs> but I always tell a client, you know, here's the vulnerability and you have to look at it and analyze it and see if it falls within your acceptable risk profile. Right. It does great. You know, at least you know about it and it's there on paper. You know, I've done my job. Um, exactly. So yeah. Yep. Like I think that's some of the big pain points for pen testers that, and you know, we've always been kind of automating to a mm-hmm. certain extent. I wouldn't say automating, but maybe scripting um, tying tools together, uh, looking for open ports and then probing those ports, you know, just stringing that together with bash script mm-hmm. um, just on the fly. And a lot of companies actually look for that when they're hiring pen testers is the ability to write on the fly or create something to help the, the work get easier. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that something that you thought about when you were building this tool or or was it, you know, this was something you wanted to break away and go do or or was it something that helps you do your job and it became something bigger than you thought?
0: Yeah, kind of like you know, kind of like a lot of tools out there, like you you, you um like you eventually write a, a small piece of script that does something, and then you know, next thing you know, you run it and it's like oh, you know, then you start you start to do the next thing manually and you're like huh, I wonder if I could expand it there. So that's kind of how I started off with me. It was like, well, I wonder if I could just automate reporting. And then I got bored of that. So I was like, all right, so we got that out the way. Right. I wonder if I could, you know, automate this. All right, done that. And then I think the more manual stuff that, you know, we find ourselves doing mm-hmm. uh, the more we want to try to, you know, automate that. Um, and that's kind of just how it is. And, and then you combine that with the fact that I love coding um, and, and it's just, yeah, I forget what day it is,
1: uh, <laughs> you know, at the end of that. Very cool. Jeremy, <laughs> do you have any more questions?
3: Yeah. So I know in the industry, cause I get asked this so many times when we do a call, people are always asking, well, what's the difference between a vulnerability scan and a penetration test? I, mm-hmm. Is that, is it just me or is that like a common confusion in the industry between those two? I know like for industries that are regulated, I mean, those guys, they, they know the difference, right? But you're every your typical small to medium-sized business, I, I get asked that question a lot and I'm always trying to find creative ways to explain it. So I'm just curious to see if you guys run into that same challenge and like what analogies do you use to like clearly get the point across so that when you're explaining it to a non-tech person, they, they get the difference and they understand the importance of each.
0: Yeah, yeah. so um, <clears throat> you know, one of my analogies is and I know it's probably lame, but it it works. But <laughs> but but I like to say, you know, a vulnerability assessment will tell. will walk up to the house and say, hey, you know, you will knock on the door. It'll twist the doorknob and say, oh, it'll crack the door open a little bit. Oh, ah, the door is unlocked. And then it call up the person and say, hey, your door is unlocked. You know, if somebody go in there, you know, somebody goes in there, they might find all kinds of stuff, right? And the mm-hmm. person's like, oh yeah, I leave the you know I leave the door unlocked all the time. It's never happened. But the pen test is more like hey, your door's unlocked. And by the way, I got your car keys. I got your Lamborghini. Uh, everything that you, you love, you know, is in my backseat right now. <laughs> so, so so, I like to use that because it, it paints the picture that vulnerability assessments tell you something's bad, but the pen test actually takes that Show it. and finds all of the good stuff. Yep. The stuff that will keep you up at night. <laughs> yep. And it normally
1: does too. Ryan, do you have anything?
2: Yeah, man. So, does your company also do end-user education, like phishing education, stuff like that, to bring this, the whole company's security posture up? Or are you just strictly pen testing?
0: Yeah. So, we do offer like some traditional assessment, like wireless assessments, application assessments, mobile assessments. Um, I actually built a, a platform called vFish. Uh, actually, that was the first product that we built. And, you know, so we're you know we're, we're a small business. Um, and so, that was like the first thing I built. And I realized that, you know, phishing, like building another phishing platform is kind of it doesn't really make a lot of sense because there's so much stuff out there that does it already and for free. And so we have something that we can you know help, like if somebody wants to do a fishing assessment, we can you know pair something like that up with that. Um, and then we can, we also have some partners as well that help us out with like, you know, providing training um, and education to some of the users like after a fishing assessment, but we don't do it directly, but we do have some partners that uh, do the fishing the education side of it.
1: Okay, cool. Like know before that type of company? Yeah, exactly.
3: I want to know what was the craziest um, so you also did red teaming, right? which is a combination of everything. It's just whatever tricks you've got in the hat, just try to get into my company and, and find something sensitive. So what was like the craziest like red team engagement or operation that you were a part of?
0: Yeah, I think for me, the thing that always comes to mind is and it's kind of funny because me and the, me and the contact actually still communicate today, and this happened like five years ago. Um, one of the assessments that we were doing uh, we were trying to get access into the building um, as part of like the scope and what we were doing and so um you know we were we weren't really successful well, we were successful actually at the other buildings and there was the last one that was like super secure had all these security guards very intimidating right you you would literally walk there and turn around because you would be like that's not going to happen um, <laughs> so um this part made me nervous because I went up and a lot of people get nervous on, uh, like on site social engineering engagement you know what's gonna happen what are you gonna ask me you know uh, things like that but um, right before that day uh, I got into a scenario where somebody uh, didn't hear like the badge reader go off when I walked in behind them and they, they caught me and they were like hey you know I didn't hear uh, anything go off so that night I went on YouTube found a guy doing RFID hacking found the sound you know and I clipped the sound just the sound Put it on my phone, and then the next day I went to that last location, and I literally walked in, and I had like a, like my ID, just, like you know, just in my hand, just kind of like this, and I pressed the play button uh, as I did that, like behind them, but I had to like delete every other song on my phone, right, because I didn't want like you know Rick Ross stuff. <laughs> that
1: would have been you know? awesome. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but that okay. was
1: very. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so that so. The file, um, and also people like probably need to know too is that you can get, you can make your own audio, audio file as well, um, right. just by recording the, the signal. Uh, and you can build that into a Raspberry Pi on a small antenna and, and go to town. Uh, that's yep. really cool.
3: This is the creativity of hackers that I love to hear about.
1: <laughs> um, sorry, I have another
0: one that might be interesting too. Go ahead. So we're doing a, uh, but this is like, like more of a scope based engagement, but. We had fit, we had um, on-site social engineering, and then we also had wireless assessments, and then like internal network testing in uh, scope. So I spent the morning, you know, looking, trying to figure out where people are going and going, you know, leaving and things like that. And I managed to get inside of a building and got inside the break room, just kind of walking around and, you know, just just, just seeing who's going to catch me. After a period of time, like nobody caught me and I was like, well, I wonder if I could just do the wireless assessment while I'm here, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I'm in the building. I mean, you know, I don't, why should I call a client and say, hey, meet me down here. Let me just get started now, save some time. So at that point, I didn't care if I got caught because I had already accomplished the goal, which was to get in and, you know, plug into the network, things like that. So I actually found like a cubicle uh, that was, that, you know, nobody was in there. And I got bored. I started setting up my wireless equipment, got the antennas going, the alpha adapter, <laughs> <laughs> nice. and i literally completed the wireless assessment like at that time and so um it was like an hour hour and a half later a group of security guys walk up and they you know i see them coming it's a team of them i'm just like oh man like i hope they're just going to get coffee or something right and they stop at, the, they stop by the desk and they're just they're just looking at me and they're like who are you and <laughs> I, I like froze up right they brought me up to the front to call my my primary point of contact he wouldn't answer the phone i almost died like you know at that time so
1: that
0: That's was also
1: awesome. <laughs> awesome. another crazy moment yeah. we had a we had a bus uh, a metro line in downtown houston uh houston <clears throat> bus station and i would take a bus from one side of town all the way to the other at like five o'clock in the morning so i knew the bus drivers were kind of tired so mm-hmm. i you have an app and you can buy your tickets online And the only thing that shows it's a valid ticket is this bus that's animated and it has a date, right? So I just went in there and did my own little animation (laughs) and put my change the date and I rode free for like a month. Um, but I just wanted to see if I could do it. It wouldn't I needed to, it's just like can I get around this? You know, like this is ridiculous. Exactly. (laughs) Kind of goes
3: back to Alton when he was like eleven or twelve. It's like you're doing it just to see if you can do it, right? Right.
1: Yep. You guys are like
3: kids trying to like push the buttons and see what your limit is. <laughs>
1: so that's, that's what, that's the curiosity is what, what forms us into who we are really. Exactly. Yep. I, I exactly. remember I was three, maybe three or four. And my grandmother um, had a tear gas gun in her closet and I was always a kid that was plundering and getting in trouble and, you know, getting into stuff. And uh, they were in one part of the house and I heard the gun go off and they come in there. I shot myself in the face with a tear gas gun. <laughs> at a little oh my- age but i was just like shocked that it worked i was like oh cool <laughs> um, so yeah like you know they get you into trouble as well <laughs> yeah so does yep. anybody have questions for out and I'm, I'm looking at the chat the chat's open all the messages questions will come to the host and i'll relay it on to out and so if you have any questions, yeah, drop them yeah, in the
0: chat box.
2: Can walk me through a, a social engineering engagement? Like, is there, do they outline a scope for it? Or is it open slather? Can you just like pretend to be Hugo, the pool cleaner? Or like, what's the, what's the go?
0: Yeah, so the first two years of my career, um, I did a lot of on say social engineering assessments for uh, banks, banks and credit unions. They mm-hmm. were really targeting banks and credit unions. Right. And so the common thing for us was pest control, right? You walk in, you just start doing your thing. You got to, I mean, we had like a fake invoice sheet. We had a fake ID. We put on like khaki uh like you know uh, like khaki pants and just look like a pest inspector kind of person and so uh we would just walk in there and just start like looking around and taking notes and stuff <laughs> like that and just you know we'll keep an eye out trying to see where the off you know where there's an unattended you know room is right and we'll just eventually get there and we'll just stand there for a little minute and we'll you know take pictures hey here's the proof of me getting access to the network you know uh the network jack mm-hmm. um and then you know we did that a lot but um but yeah i mean they're they're very scary sometimes.
1: So You know, what's what's really cool too is if you go to eBay and you can find like UPS uniforms, you can find Verizon work shirts and man, eBay was my friend when it came to social engineering, we got into an AT&T data center and said, we need to fix some, um, fix some servers. And we had Verizon (laughs) work shirts on and they actually gave us like, like let us in because we had the right badge. we had scoped out the badges, but we're in a totally yeah. competing like T-shirt. Some <laughs> yep. they, they just don't think that's the weakest link. It's so uh, crazy. Uh huh. Oh. How you
0: got it? <laughs> it's so crazy when you think of on-site social engineering. You think of like physically going on-site and trying to get access to something that only authorized people should be having access to. Mm. It sounds crazy. You know, the first thing most people would think is, "Man, never." I would, I couldn't see myself walking inside a Chase Bank and getting <laughs> access behind a teller line. But it's so surprising at when you actually do it, people are afraid to confront you and say, hey, who are you? Mm -hmm. And like out of like, I don't know, maybe 80, I'll say social engineering assessments, I've only had like a handful of people actually walk up to me and ask me what I was supposed to, you know, what what was I doing there? Mm -hmm. So it's uh, it's crazy.
1: Yeah. Red teaming is a lot of fun, too, because you get to mix in all the aspects, social engineering, physical, and, you, you know, you get to do some complex attacks. And that, To me, red teaming is where the passion is at. That's, that's where yeah. I like to be is, is red teaming. Ethical hacking, pen testing is OK. You know, I do that for, for money in the bank, whatever. But, you know, the real passion would definitely be formulating an, an all around collaborative attack scenario, red teaming. -hmm. But but you're right, you know, especially like back in the day, banking was really important when it came to social engineering. Um, I worked for one Mm of the big banks in the U.S. and and uh, we were constantly doing testing our own our own stuff. Uh, Let's see. Um, Yeah. So it
3: looks like Frenchie's got a question. He's saying, "How are you refining um, and teaching the the AI um, that they are building with the system to fine tune?" and not have things slip through the cracks. So so yeah, Alton, why don't you talk about, um, I mean, I know you're deploying VPN tests in a bunch of different environments. So how do you add new exploits so that the tool continues to kind of be smarter for like the next customer? How do you integrate? You know, so how does the tool get smarter? Tell us how mm-hmm. that works, right? Yeah, so, I, think, I think I phrased that question, right?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's basically, you know, whenever it comes to like our automated platform, I always like to kind of bring it back to traditionally, right? If you're a consultant, you go on site, you you run a tool or you, you try a new exploit and you get different results, you're going to learn, oh, wow, this is different. You know, maybe I should be going to look out for this next time or I should, you know, so using this tool and start grepping for this string, whatever. So it's pretty much the same way, right? Whenever we, you know, integrate new things into the product, you know, well, first of all, we test it to make sure it works. We don't want to just like start, you know, throwing up zero logging on everybody's uh, DCs without, you know, <laughs> without testing things. So... Um, but we also set a lot of flags too. So whenever there's things that you know um, that don't commonly get exploited because those vulnerabilities aren't really that common um, in those particular networks, we usually jump in in the middle of the pen test and just just to look at the results. And we learn from that, and we we can adapt, like you know, change the code on the fly, and even of course in development, um, so that next time that scenario happens, it, you know, we know how to um, adjust to it. <clears throat> If it's like post-exploitational, you know, escalation privileges, lateral movement, uh, we can actually set breakpoints all throughout the the process to make sure that everything runs perfectly smooth. And, you know, once we've done that uh, enough times, then we can start to remove some of those breakpoints so that we can set breakpoints later down the road uh, when it comes to, like, extracting data.
1: So when it comes to the the platform itself, you're only doing network right now, right? Exactly. You haven't gotten into (laughs) Wi-Fi or or Bluetooth and that stuff.
0: No, but I think we'll probably end up automating wireless testing is so easy. It's one yeah. of those things you can write a checklist for somebody and they can go and do it, you know? The, the, the craziest part about wireless testing is getting the alpha adapter to even work, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Once you've got it working, you're good to go.
1: Yeah, the chipset is, is the hardest thing, especially like <laughs> I do a lot of testing with Raspberry Pis. And so sometimes the chipset can be a little finicky. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a, that was one of my biggest questions was, you know, modularity, you know, you can be able to, to add um, SDR or RF or Bluetooth and stuff like that. Um, Wi-Fi should not be a problem. That should be super easy. Yeah. Maybe even Bluetooth because um, pretty much the same technology, just a little dumber. Um, so yeah. I, I don't know. It'd be cool to see how how things evolve over the next five, ten years. Now, is your yeah. company VC funded or no? Strictly financed through through your means. That's yep, all awesome.
0: Just me. Just took That's my awesome. savings and went at it. <laughs> That's no, awesome. I, I, w- I wish it was like that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yep. Just uh, you know, like um so I worked at a company that had a lot of, you know a lot of VC funding and like it was it became like all about paying the investors back mm-hmm. and we started putting out crap reports, crap stuff, and we weren't training people. It was just a disaster. And I know it's I know that's not all that it's all about, but <clears throat> that was kind of like some of my exposure to it. Mm-hmm. And so when I started my company and I wasn't really educated on like who do I even go to, to ask for anything, right? So um, I just basically took my savings at the time and just, just went at it. I like, I literally, I remember the last day of my last job, I literally got a laptop, my personal laptop, because I was using the company laptop and say, I don't care what happens as long as I have my laptop,
1: I'll be fine. So
0: yeah. I got clothes, I have my laptop. I'd be good. I figured out a way to make it work. So that's pretty much the, the attitude I had. Yeah. yeah.
1: So <laughs> when when I say VC, I know that Ryan had a question. It's actually, actually a venture capital, the people who sometimes finance startup companies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, yep what I found with startups is that when they did have VC backing the different rounds things got really critical right. um, and it seemed like we were always chasing to satisfy the investors instead of actually working freely on the product and, and enjoy what we're doing exactly um, so I try to exactly. stay away from vC <laughs> companies just just because of that that specific reason I like to have fun
2: exactly the the vision? like you like you've got a vision for an idea and then with the VC comes in and then you lose control of that ultimately or
1: yeah, the advisory board VC funders I mean everybody yeah. kind of plays plays a part in it if, if you have an extended executive team um, to yeah. help you get through M&A merger and acquisition
3: yeah. Um, and there's like milestones you've got to hit, too. So right. you find that like, whereas if you were, you know, self-funded, 100 percent of your time goes towards product development and growing your business. Whereas the moment you get funded, about 30 percent of your time now gets sucked away in doing board presentations <laughs> and, you know, forecasting and projections <laughs> so that you can present to these people that are giving you all this money that you're you're going to you have a plan in place. So um, it, it does it does take a lot of time away from from the core of what you're trying to achieve, I think. Yeah. But at the same yeah. time, that capital, I mean, getting like a two and a half million dollar funding could definitely help you grow, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's like a double edged sword for me, and I see the pros mm-hmm. and cons for both.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so Alton, if you got that two and a half million dollars funding, where would you go? Where would you expand your business? What's the what would be the you know? Yeah, First, you could item on the
0: list. Yeah, I think for us, it would be developers, you know, um, it's, they're super expensive. Um, they, they're kind of hit or miss. Um, I feel like for, you know, like marketing sales, we've, we've been really good at like expanding our team in, in those areas and we find good people and things that, you know, when it comes, to, I don't know what it is, but developers. Um, and, and so here's the thing too, like, um, and this has been interesting. So I wanted to automate pen testing, <clears throat> but the minute we put a dashboard to it, We realized that, oh my goodness, this was going to be a product thing, right? Like everybody was going to be all about the UI. So I think we would definitely pour a lot, you know, pour some into that um, because, you know, I I find myself like kind of, you know, looking at more stuff in the front end than I do with the back end. So I think we could definitely, you know, uh, we could do a lot to, I mean, we have a pretty cool product, but I think it is, you know.
1: But but it's it's crazy though that you say that because as a pen tester, I don't like, the front, front end. I would much rather deal with no. the data. I don't need I the nonsense. And a lot of companies, not to put <laughs> names to people who put like these crazy UIs together and suck up bandwidth and lock up systems, but they look pretty and a little yep. pew, pew pew pictures back and <laughs> forth are cool. But, right. you know, I would much rather see like the advanced search data, um, the raw yep. data. Yeah, yeah, Exactly. Stuff. Exactly it's pretty
0: interesting you know when um some of the questions that we get on some of our demos are are pretty shocking you know like uh because it's a dashboard like the assumptions just go through the roof (laughs) it's like it's like do you do ai can it flush my toilet um can i can i can i turn my light on by logging into the dashboard and clicking the button so (laughs) but it's very interesting but i mean it's crazy because that stuff really attracts a lot of businesses even though we know as pen testers that, you know, Means the real nothing, stuff. Yeah, yeah ex- exactly. They just like the bells, the charts and the whistle. you know, I'll, t- I'll tell you
1: where it goes. And, and I learned this in my last company with, with my uh, CISO. Uh, he was very open about it, but any tool that has a dashboard, um, we had one specifically that the fund, the VC funders that we had actually funded them as well. So we were kind of forced to have their service and it looked at like open web ports and, and that score or whatever—I'm sure you know the company I'm talking about—but those metrics on that site became the reasons, if or not, executives got bonuses. So anytime they see a dashboard with colors or numbers, it doesn't matter what it is, it becomes some sort of metric, right? And uh, that—that's what drives me crazy. You know, the, the real information, what you really need to get to, is past front end. Um, and it's really in the data. So I got into a habit of when I give the CISO a report, I wouldn't give him something out of the UI. I right. would give him the yeah. data and be exactly. like, Here, here's what's going on. He said, well, you know, can't you put a picture to it? And I was like, no, it's black and white. It's right there. So, yeah, the dashboard yeah. serve a purpose, you know, for analysts, maybe to take a quick look. Um, right. But That's as far as
2: –
1: yeah, yeah, as as far as relying on it to, to like – show you the real health or whatever. I think it's kind of misleading and the whole red, green and, and orange color certification for terrorism and for internet, you know, cybercrime. Bad right. idea. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So there was another question. Um, does your automation, automation pen test tool align with <laughs> frameworks such as NIST, for example? I know that we talked about that. It falls right in line with NIST, right? Yeah. Yeah. So just to expand on a little bit
0: too, so basically when I built the platform, it was literally just to automate the same things that Pentester was doing, the exact same thing. Like no Pentester that I know literally like compares their knowledge with any framework. They just know how to get things done and they do it. So that's kind of where we started things off. But um, as we started, you know, kind of like, um, I guess making more and more progress, we realized that, all right, well, now we can start to tie some things into it. So like, for example, the MITRE ATT&CK framework. I know a lot of companies who, are, you know, who use the MITRE ATT&CK framework are usually like uh, att sim tools that are based on it. But rather than being based on like these frameworks, we're actually just tying the, the similarities between the results from these frameworks. We're not trying to like build something that's completely on this framework or completely on that one. But if we do have stuff that relates to them that we can provide, and we can pro- provide that extra value to the customer in the report, then we'll do that. <laughs>
1: There's another one, um, My question is, what are the most common vulnerabilities that Alden and the team find based on those common vulnerabilities? What are some key recommendations for businesses to help protect their networks, patching, lack of basic hardening of uh, bills, etc. And that comes mm-hmm. from uh, Steve. Steve is a, a leader in security in a bank in, in the UK.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate the question too, Steve. So um, one of the things that I see a lot and it's crazy that it still exists, is um, like IPv6, DNS poisoning, right? I wrote a blog about that a while back, and also uh, LMNR, uh, uh as well, and NBNS. So basically, you know, most pen testers, and probably still, well, most likely still today, when they, I was about to say go on site, nobody's gone on site today, but <laughs> when, when most pen testers get started, um, the first thing they're doing is they're firing up responder, right? They're firing up responder, they're firing up men in the middle six, because these are very, very easy tools to run to exploit very, um, I guess, common vulnerabilities. And you can get a lot of good stuff from it if it's not configured properly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, just a little bit of background about the DNS poisoning, uh, well, LMNR, basically, they're relying on DNS, right? So, when a computer is trying to resolve a DNS name, they have a, pro- a series of processes that they check they check their local host file, right? They check their DNS server. If the DNS server has no idea and that system is configured to use like NetBIOS and LMNR, they're basically gonna broadcast on that local subnet, hey, does anybody know the IP address to whatever the DNS name that I'm trying to get to? Well, as an attacker using a tool like Responder, I can respond to that request and say, hey, I'm the IP address that you're Mm -hmm. looking for, and so what happens is, depending on what that request is trying to authenticate to, like a web service, or you know, SQL database, or whatever, um, I can fake that server to that client, and now I can, you know, prompt him for authentic, uh, authentication credentials, and I could either get clear text or hash credentials. So that's something that we see a lot, right? And you can turn these things off from group policy. Um, you could set up, you know, uh, like if you have EDR solutions, you can set up, you know, different uh, controls to basically look for these types of, uh, these types of packets going across the network. Uh, the other thing too is IPv6, right? So IPv6, uh, IPv6 was enabled by default since Windows Vista. And um, basically, the way that works is if a workstation sees that an IPv6, uh, DCP server, uh, DCP V6 server is available, they're going to ask that, that, that server to, for an IP address, an IPV6 address, right? And so as an attacker, I can basically go into any network and stand up a DCP server that's giving out IPV6 addresses. And your workstations are going to prefer it over IPV4. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I can give it my IP address for the DNS server, and it'll work kind of just like the last one, right? Whenever that computer goes out to do anything, uh, resolve a DNS name, it's going to ask me. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, so in terms of remediation with that, I know like there are some switches to have things like DCP guard, right? So you can basically whitelist authorized DCP servers. And so if anybody else on the network tries to assign an IP address to somebody, then uh, essentially that'll get, that'll, get, that'll get stopped at the, uh, at the switch. So yeah. um, those are the very two common uh, issues that I see. And it's been like that for years too.
1: Yeah. I, I used to, well, I still have a turtle, but um, that was the first thing I would do is fire up responder and WPAD, you know, right. it, everybody was spitting something at the, at the device. Um, so exactly. let's talk go bags, right? So I know as a pen tester, we all have, we all have our go kits, right? So mm-hmm. what does your go bag consist of?
0: So for me, um, like just in terms of like a bunch of, like some of the kind of common tools that I'm always using. So definitely responder. Mm-hmm. Uh, Man in the Middle Six, um, of course, Impacket, right? Impacket has a crap ton of tools that are very useful. SMB Client, WMI Exec, SMB Exec. Um, so I, I like to have that handy as well. Um, uh, Intel and Relay, also part of Impacket. So I would say Impacket probably has a lot of the stuff that I use uh, most commonly, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I would say the top three were Responder, Man in the Middle Six, and uh, you know some of the stuff in Impacket for like Intel and Relay uh, attacks
1: yeah yeah for sure um so do you have lockpick set and anything else like
0: oh physical stuff too i have the 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 usb rubber ducky um yeah i had some fun with that many years ago we haven't done a lot of physical assessments lately but uh, i've got some flash drives just to drop like some excel spreadsheets on it with some macros uh to ship out if i if i need to uh have the raspberry pi which we actually we could use it for uh actually as a pin test agent so we can mm-hmm. deploy those out um as well to get remote access um, i'm trying to think i have the alpha cards but you know we haven't really done a lot of physical well, not physical but like wireless assessments since mm-hmm. covid um so but um i think that's that's really that's really uh, um yeah that's so- really about it so
1: so have you gotten into any rf like do you have a ham radio license or are you looking to to dive dive off into rf at all
0: i haven't i've got some friends that that are pretty pretty deep into it but i haven't myself though
1: (laughs) gotcha ryan's asking if if i have a cam in his house because i'm asking all the questions that that he's writing down right now (laughs) uh Um, yep Yeah, yeah i used to have a i used to have a like a
0: bunch of stuff and I was doing a lot of different types of engagements, but I think since starting started, since started High, and, you know, just kind of like really honing in on pen testing, you know, I've kind of lost, I don't even know where half the stuff is, like the stuff that I just named. I have like my Raspberry Pi sitting on my desk, but I, I don't even know where everything else is.
1: Oh, yeah, my desk is a mess. I've got like two Raspberry Pis and a bunch of antennas and it's clutter. It's bad. Yeah. I got uh, in the so, uh, closet somewhere. Go ahead, Ryan.
2: Okay, yeah, hypothetically, if you had an opening at High. For an entry level position, what would you be looking for in the candidate? Like, what what skills would make you go, "Yes, that's my guy"?
0: Yeah, I like that question too because this kind of dives into a little bit of education. I know a lot of people who are kind of get who want to get into cybersecurity um, have the same question. But <clears throat> so I know a while back, you know, degrees were like something that everybody just looked at and were like, "Oh, doesn't have a degree, you're not qualified. You have a degree, you're qualified." Like me personally, not having a degree and just kind of taking like a non traditional route, um, I really can respect like the hard work that people put in into like just learning themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, I like to look at, you know, I like to know their story, like, right, how did they get to where they are? Uh, what kind of person, like, you know, in terms of personality, because we are, know, there's a lot of testers out there who are great technically, but wow, I try to have a conversation with them and it's just. You don't know if the guy hates you or if he loves you because he's not expressing any emotion, <laughs> right? So so, so so we really like embrace like a good person, right? At the, like a, a good person.
3: Mike's always right? saying that you um, want to wanna work with someone you can trust. And part of that trust is getting to know them as a person, right, Mike? Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I've been known to be one of those guys who have been a, kind of a pain in the ass though. So I, I totally get what he's saying. <laughs> but
3: you're so charming what are you talking about
1: yeah, let me tell you
2: <laughs> <laughs> you put a lot of trust into these people how do you how do you know who's worthy of that trust like you're mm-hmm. you're hiring someone to get into the, the nitty-gritty of a, a client's business like how do you mm-hmm. how do you how do you sleep at night you drop a hundred dollar
1: <laughs> bill by their desk and walk off <laughs> yeah So there's two different sides of it. Like
0: there's like the culture side, you know, can they blend in with the company? Are they a great person? Things like that. And then there's what you're saying, like in terms of like technical ability, right? So when it comes to like the technical like qualifications, I like to kind of see what they've done in the past. Like, do they have tools on GitHub, right? Uh, Have they taken any courses? I don't care about the certification because you know, that's, you know, you can cheat to do that, but like, I like to know, have they been through any courses that were, you know, teaching them something? So um, I like to kind of see, you know, do they know Python? Do they know Ruby? Are they going to be an efficient pen tester, right? Do they know any any language at all to help them, you know, like adapt on the fly? Um, so I think those are some of the common ones, you know, because if you can't code as a pen tester, then what happens yeah. when Metasploit throws an error and it's just a typo? <laughs>
1: you know, And that's a pain because I remember starting out like first messing with like tools like that. And I would look at the command line. I'm like, wait a minute. Why didn't that work? And I go yeah. back and check it and check it. But one thing about open source tools is the documentation is not always the greatest. Yeah, horrible. So
0: basically- a command that may have
1: worked two versions ago <laughs> may not work this time. So <laughs> it goes to show like being a pen tester and being able to work on the fly. Like that's the kind yeah. of stuff you have to figure out. Like that, that shit's mm-hmm. not, it's not in a book. You, you have to exactly. do some troubleshooting. Um, exactly. I know Cham had a had a question. Cham, you're unmuted, so if you want to ask your question, shoot away.
4: Oh, okay. Um, hi, Alton. Um, so my question is: so your company does automated testing as opposed to manual penetration testing. How did you gain trust from clients when you started your company?
0: Yes. Oh, that's a good question. So when I first started Vana High, right? So, well, first of all, let me back up a little bit. It was never my intention to start a company, right? I just had an idea. Okay and nobody listened to my idea, <laughs> so I had no choice but to do this, and uh-huh. um, and so when I first started High, you know, I was just a pen tester with a lot of experience doing a lot of stuff, but I didn't really know how to market and sell myself, and I found out that it was extremely competitive. Everybody's doing pen testing. Mm. Everybody is a 1099 contractor, and yeah. so when it came to the automation side of things, um, <clears throat> and I think the fact that. You know, I have tools in Metasport. I have tools in Kali Linux. I have a ton of tools on GitHub. And, you know, there's things that people can go to our website and see that we're not just a company saying, hey, we do automated pen testing. And, you know, here it is. So they have a little bit of, you know, there's some reputation behind that. But um, also like the demo, you know, I know a lot of people say, well, you know, still probably not really. But I always tell them to hop on a call. Like, let's let's get on the demo and let's let's show you. Like, and, and by the end of the demo, they're like, this report looks better than our last report. We spent, you know, 15 grand on it.
3: And so, yeah, I yeah, know,
0: I told you, <laughs> you know.
3: <laughs> hey, Alton, can we offer a free trial to everyone on the Haunted Hacker podcast so they can try out yeah. the platform if they want to do, if they want to hack their own network, um, just like a limited trial so that they can yeah. just That'd see awesome. how easy it is to schedule a pin test. Yeah. Um, yeah, we'll get with Mike <laughs> after and we can send them like a special link and they can just try it out for free.
1: Awesome. Awesome, exactly, and also, so
2: too, stylist because man, your photo on GitHub is pimping. I gotta check this out, man. <laughs> <Thanks>. But <laughs> it's so
0: good,
3: yeah. yeah. So, so, everyone should just go hack their own network.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm yep. looking kind of Hollywood yeah, there, Ooh, and yeah. I try to do a little some sum, you know, you know, a
1: little.
3: <laughs> guys, guys, you know, that's my graphic skills, right?
0: <laughs>
1: oh, I cut you off. All right. nice, nice. Yeah, Chim, <laughs> um, do, do you have any more uh, questions for Alton?
4: Yeah, um, so today we have the accessibility to be able to collect resources to get to where we want to be and to <coughs> be able to, to help us start our career such as Hack the Box, Udemy, Mentor Dojo, LinkedIn, etc. So how was it for you growing up? How was you, be, how was you able to pull the resources, find guidance and get information to get to where you are?
0: Yeah, so I think one good thing that worked out in my favor is, so my first cybersecurity company that I worked for full time, <laughs> I uh, actually applied there three years in a row. I would not let them wow. get away with an open oh, position wow. without me reaching out. I literally was applying back to, I, I think, I think they probably hired me because they got tired of me like applying. They were just like, you know what, let's just give this guy a chance. He's yeah. constantly emailing me. Um and so I got, I started off just doing like basic help desks, like like basic support. So at the time we had virtual machines that clients downloaded to deploy. Oh, and, you know, what
4: age was that when you started that job?
0: Uh, that was, uh, I think, 20. Yeah, I was, I was 20. Okay. And so um, basically, um, we were, you know, I was just doing basic stuff, helping the customers get their VMs deployed. And mm-hmm. every time, like, I-, I talked to the analysts, I was like, hey, whenever you guys are doing a pen test, let me, you know, I want to be right there when you do a pen test. Right. Okay. And, yeah. and, and so every time they had a pen test, um, like, you know, something every time something good came up, it would you know bring me over there and I would literally start studying everything you're doing. And when I went home, I was just like researching, researching, researching. Mm-hmm. And I was that was a rest and repeat situation for like, you know, a good six months before they had an opening in, a, in an analyst role. And I jumped sh-
1: sh- straight in there.
3: <laughs> passion right there.
1: Yeah. Re- yeah. Research. I, I try to stress people, too, is that research is so important. Um, this is not a nine to five job. You don't, you don't go in and sit behind a desk and you're proficient just by showing up to work. Like it takes outside research, outside reading um, experimentation. I mean, it has to be a way of life. It it has to be a passion or else you're not going to be the top echelon. If you're okay, like, and and, and being complacent with just being an analyst and just doing the bare minimum, that's Mm -hmm. what you'll get out of it. But exactly. for me, and I'm sure for the rest of people, you know, here is a, it's a passion, and that passion is 24 um, seven. Exactly. I'll wake up in the middle of night and think about, oh, I wonder if I can add that to an APK <laughs> or, you know, and then I've got to go check it out. I've got to get up and actually do something. Um, yeah, that
0: was that was me two nights ago. I woke up at two o'clock in the morning and stood and I just I didn't go back to sleep. I was just uploading yeah. all night. You know. Yep. yep.
1: Definitely been there. Um, <laughs> Champ. Any more questions for Alton?
4: Well, I've got questions for Trami, if
1: Go that's
4: okay. It. Yeah. Um, so Trami, what did you do before and what interested you to work for High?
3: Yeah, so I started, I've always been into tech, right? So my first job in college, I was working at the Center for Computation and Technology at um, Louisiana State University, and I was just a webmaster there. So I did all the marketing and the website. And, um, at that place, this was back in 2003, 2003, 2004, and they were doing web conferences like we were doing today. So at that time I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. And they're doing all these like awesome technology. They had this, um, they were using this tool that would measure the gravitational pull and detect it in space so that they can analyze the data. And at that moment, I was already like a nerd about outer space. (laughs) And so when I learned about all this stuff, I was like, technology is amazing. So I've always been, that was the moment that I was like, okay, whatever it is I do in life, I want to stay close to technology and see where it goes. Yeah. Um, and then I worked for an advertising company and I built a mobile app. Um, so I got to, you know, do app development. And then that was kind of like my front door to get a taste of like what it was like to work with developers and IT. And it kind of just spitfire from there. And then um, my brother and Alton actually um, are friends outside of, you know, uh, the that's internet. That's connection.
1: Uh Yes,
3: which is important because this is what this is the point I want to bring. You never know where your connections will take you. So I was I was like, you know, in my mid 20s. And my brother's like, "Hey, I have a friend. He's a really cool hacker, um, but he also does photography. He needs a logo. Can you help him with a logo?" That's and how it all young- starts.
1: That's how yeah. it all starts.
3: And it's my younger <laughs> brother asking me for a favor. So I'm like, you know, if it's your friend, I'll do it for free. I won't even charge him. So I hooked <laughs> Alton out with a logo for his photography business um and then you know we stayed in touch you know like it was like every now and then if he needed a graphics uh or some kind of like logo he'd be like hey Trammy, can you help me out with this so we stayed in touch during the years um and then seven years later alton's like hey i'm starting my own company can you help me with a social media post? So I started out with social media. Then he's like, can you help me build my website? Then I helped him build that this website. familiar. This <laughs> is how I get sucked in. And so it was the website. And then after that, it was like, hey, do you want to just come do marketing for us? And then I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause I, I already, I I've already known Alton for seven years and I just knew he was such a phenomenal hacker. And it was because of that passion that, Like he's just so happy when he talks about hacking, you know, like I've never seen anyone so happy to talk about their day job, (laughs) you know, Uh, and it's the same with Mike and everyone in this podcast. I talk to everyone here and they just, you guys like freaking love it, you know, like it's Saturday and here we are. So um, yeah, I think that networking is so key because I didn't know my connection with Alton would take me here. But I'm so glad it did, and it started seven years ago with just a simple logo for something that had nothing to do with cybersecurity. But yep. I'm so glad I ended up here, because I'm here with you guys today, and I love this community so much. Um, so yeah,
4: that's a great story. story. Thank you.
0: And, and just to piggyback off of that, <clears throat> so this is this is crazy. Like the, the you know, because you know, when I was younger, I didn't really like understand the importance of connections, right? I was 19 years old, 20 years old, I was trying to get into cybersecurity. I didn't really care, like, well, I mean, this is back then, so I could say it now, but I didn't really care about building relationships with clients, I just wanted to hack. I didn't care really, because I was, you know, I was just trying to increase my skills. But uh, over time, you know, I really realized how important, you know, connections were. It's funny because like Tremi's brother, like we had connected over the internet, like just, I think it was like, uh, I don't know if it was AIM or whatever the case was back then. And we didn't actually meet <laughs> for like five years, but we had this this super close like relationship, like like bond, like me and her brother, we're like brothers, <laughs> you know, without ever knowing each other. Sure. But it turns out, you know, his sister was trammy. And yeah, it was, it's just like the connections, and you just like she said, you n- you just never know, you know. That's cool. So yeah,
1: it definitely cool. sounds very familiar.
2: I
0: know. I <laughs> feel
3: like you guys are all my brothers and sisters on here for
1: sure. <laughs> That's funny. I think we got connected through Drake so drake yeah. approached me when i got back to the states and you know sending me, st- sending me stickers and, and equipment and stuff and, and uh <laughs> he's like yeah you know here's some stickers from this company i know and i was like hmm i'm gonna check out this website so i went and checked it i was like oh that's interesting so yeah like uh definitely the the graphic design is uh, superb for everybody yeah. Thank um you. so with that being said any more questions from the People online, other than the f- four of us, five of us. Um, so, favorite tool to use, and this is for me. Favorite tool mm-hmm. to use and why on a pen test. Um, I hate to say it, but just responding
0: <laughs> in the middle of six, you know, it's it's like I know they're very basic tools, right? But mm-hmm. they're so effective. Like, and we work with a lot of like you know uh, MSPs. A lot of their clients are small. They've never been. They've never done a pen test, right? Even some of the largest clients with seventy thousand systems, they still haven't figured this problem out, right? So you go on. You 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 get on. You get on. I keep saying on site. You, you uh, get on the network, mm-hmm. and you fire up these tools. And I mean, it's crazy that things like this still work as yeah. effective as, as as effectively as, as they do.
1: Um, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, that's why some people ask me, you know, why are you still using the exploit? And I'm like. Because it still works. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not gonna abandon it and rewrite it if it's already you know knocking the wheels off of every car, you know. Right. <laughs>
0: um, exactly. So yeah, exactly. a lot of the t-
1: a lot of the tools have been around for forever, like Nikto and, and some of the yeah. other like web scanning tools, like they're fundamentally sound and we still use them today. in um, map. Exactly. You know, in map is NMAP. the hackers toolkit yeah. was I believe that it got its cameo appearance in a US military installation where I used to work on the East Coast. They actually had it up on the screen when they went in and did like photo shoots and stuff. It was crazy. <laughs> um, so, along with that, uh, okay, um, here's another question Is there much scope for also offering remediation as part of the product, e.g., identifying a missing patch and then hooking into other tools to apply the patch? the registry key, et cetera, to find and fix. So from my point of view, um, as a pen tester, I don't like to identify the vulnerability, exploit it, and then be responsible for helping fix mm-hmm. it. Because right. then that takes out that third-party unbiased uh, look at it because now you've put your hand into the security lifecycle and become part of the responsibility. Um, as a pen tester, I like to keep that separated and just yep. strictly show the raw data. the same.
0: Yeah, same way too. Like, and don't get me wrong. I know how to fix a lot of these things, but a lot of customers have different types of network environments and different scenarios. And so, I don't want to become the IT guy. Like, if you know, we we say, hey, this is how Microsoft recommends you fix it, but then you fix it and something breaks. It's like, well, you know, I don't manage your network, so it's so hard for me. Like, we can, you know, give some advice on what you should probably look into, but.
1: Yeah, and we I mean, do that too. It. Like right. reporting, that's a big part of uh, reporting as well. Is is putting in suggestions for remediation. Exactly. Uh, I know with uh, the military and government. When I worked at USJFCOM, when we got a patch from Microsoft on Tuesday, it didn't get applied on government assets for another week or two. If it was critical, we had thirty days, and they would put that patch to testing in the lab just to make sure that when they deployed it, the admiral still going to have connectivity over the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so the, those types of mitigations don't always occur right away. And I know mm-hmm. in a bank, we had a 30, 60, 90 rule, right? So 30 day for critical 60 for medium and a low is 90 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had to be remediated. Um, so, I mean, there, there's, like you yeah. said, there, for different companies, there's different, uh, restrictions and there's different ways that they actually test patches and deploy them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Exactly. I got a
3: question about, um, Okay, so I know you took an untraditional route in terms of education, right? So Mm -hmm. tell me, like, I know you started hacking at 11 and then tell me tell me about high school, college and all that stuff, because it was definitely an untraditional education route, right?
0: (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. So for me, like high school was boring it's funny because like today when a kid says that you're like, Oh, this guy must be a genius. But you said that 10 years ago, they're like <laughs> <laughs> you know, you said that 10 years ago, they were like, uh, you need this in order to make mm-hmm. it in life. So, yeah. so, uh, basically for me, I was bored of school, always came home and, you know, hack, play wild, whatever the case is. And, uh, I didn't I actually got my GED. Right. So I got, so tired of school with Plus I was, I went through Hurricane Katrina. In so New for Orleans.
3: those that are not in the U S um, can you kind of explain what the GED is?
0: Yeah, it's, it's like an alternative uh, high school uh, diploma equivalent. Um, so it's testing it's more out, of a, yeah. exactly, exactly. And so, you know, a while back, you know, I, I would say that a lot of companies kind of looked down at it because you took the shortcut to get out, but, I think nowadays, you know, we realize that, you know, the diploma and degree doesn't, you know, doesn't mean you're smart yeah. all the time, right? That just kind of varies on, on many different things. So for me, um, I had been through Hurricane Katrina, which I don't know if everyone knows, but I'm from New Orleans and, you know, Hurricane Katrina, like we all relocated all over the place, you know, Texas, Atlanta, Mississippi, and I went to four different high schools in like two years. Wow. and. I don't know how it works now, but back then, when you went to different school in the middle of the year, you get a whole bunch of paperwork, you have to mm-hmm. catch up on that and do all this homework to catch up with the class. And I was just like, I just want to hack. I just want to learn what's going to teach me how to get into a cybersecurity job. I don't care about waking up to learn about history at six o'clock in the morning. And how
4: old
3: were you at this point?
0: I was six, I was 16. 16, okay. <laughs> nice. So i never forget that conversation because i'm the only person in my family that went that way uh, my mom was just like you know i think she knew that i you know i kind of she kind of trusted me and so we had a conversation of you know if you're gonna if you're gonna get a GED, you gotta go to school or work afterwards so i went to <coughs> um louisiana technical college right afterwards and i was 16 in the class with a bunch of adults and i was like the little baby so you, know, you were
3: 16 in college when you got yeah. into college you were 16 that's yeah. that's crazy
0: I was like the baby, taking my A-plus and network plus at the time. Wow. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, when I finished two years later, I started working at, um I think I was actually working at LSU in an IT help desk position. It was for like students, but I was at a different school than LSU, so they still let me in. And uh, I went from LSU to working at a federal credit union, managing a network. And then we hired a cybersecurity company to come in there and do a uh, assessment, who do a lot of assessments for credit unions and banks. And then I transitioned to cybersecurity from there how did you get
3: that first infosec job
0: yeah so um i applied at the company three years in a row Uh, i think the second year they they, um they uh gave me they tried to offer me a position as like a as a junior network administrator and i was just getting ready to like finish up in school and i didn't want to like take the leap already and kind of like i don't know i just it was kind of intimidating but the third year when they had an opening um i applied for like the first level support And I felt like, I felt, I felt like that because I was at a cybersecurity company and had access to like, you know, 20 different people who did pen testing, it was just a matter of time until I was, you know, right under their belt and trying to figure out exactly what they were doing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So there's a question. Um, D may ask, is it not too late for me to start learning cybersecurity? I'm 50 years old. So D may I'm 47 and I still learn every day. Um, As technology comes out, you know, I, I, grab that and go. It's never too late to learn. I, I've seen, especially in the junior colleges in Texas, I've seen people in junior colleges as old as like 70, 80 years old, just mm-hmm. because they want to learn, you know, because I, I come into the same school probably that they do is that when you stop learning, that's when you start dying. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I focus on that. So I have a question for mm-hmm. you, uh, Alton, mm-hmm. um, biggest <laughs> failure in pen testing and biggest success. Hmm. <clears throat> I think the biggest
0: failure, um, <clears throat> um, so when I started doing 299 work, right after I left my last full-time job and um, was working with a, a big group of cybersecurity consultants, um, it was pretty, and I guess this is the biggest failure, but I was used to getting like domain admin and finding like good stuff. That was, yeah. like, a, this was like a thing. Yeah, MSO 6.7 had you know, all this other stuff that was just stealing and around. And so um, I remember when I did my first pen test with one of their clients who they had like 75,000 systems, but we were testing small business units uh, across, you know, um, the company. And so the other pen testers were, um, we're used to getting, you know, we were used to breaking in or getting access to the environment, things like that. But for some reason, the first pen test that I did, it, I was like, is this normal to not get domain admin and stuff like that? And they were like, yeah, oh, we got in the last couple of years and so like I really just like that hit me hard I was like I'm used to winning you know so I went back and same thing started studying and and, you know uh, trying to figure out what I was missing but the thing is you learn a lot when you work with other pen testers everybody have different methodologies different tools different Mm -hmm. strategies and it's so helpful to like just collaborate you know uh the biggest win that I would say is we did a, a pen test well we did a we had a pen test and a social engineering assessment uh, in scope for uh, a large uh, uh, gas company. And um, we did the social engineering engagement first. We went on site, we got access to the, the conference room. We were able to you know, get a reverse shell coming back out. Uh, so we went back to the hotel and we did the internal pen test from that, got domain M and found a bunch of like confidential stuff, things they didn't want us to find, of course. Mm-hmm. And so when we actually finally went on site to meet the client you know, we told him that we had access to everything and he was shocked and just like, like in a good way, right? Like, not right. like he didn't, he, he, you know, he wasn't trying to like sue us, nothing like that. Right. But uh, he was just like, wow, that is so impressive that you guys literally took over everything or could have potentially took over everything um, based on, you know, social engineering engagement. So that was really, really cool.
1: Your favorite industry to test, whether it's financial, gaming, casinos, hotels, what, what's your favorite industry to go do a pentest in?
0: Um, I would probably say uh, finance just because I'm, I'm used to it and I kind of understand like how they, you know, try to protect themselves. I understand like some of the controls they, they put in place. Um, you see a lot of common scenarios with a lot of companies who have to be in compliant uh, compliance versus the ones who don't. Um, so it's very interesting and very challenging for companies that are mature and have to be PCI and things like that. Um, so it's very interesting to, to get inside of those scenarios, jumping yeah, through a- the CDE and
1: I think the the most uh, lucrative one to get into is probably financial, Mm -hmm. uh, along with medical. Medical seems Mm -hmm. to be pretty lucrative right now. Mm -hmm. But I think my favorite uh, industry to test is the gaming industry out of Vegas and and the different casinos, because you really get to see some some wild (laughs) uh, numbers being transferred between servers, and you know that's where I got intimate knowledge on how slot machines worked Mm -hmm. um, and algorithms, the algorithms they use um uh, so yeah like I, I learned a lot in the gaming industry um yeah. so have you done any kind of like post post action forensics or or on on a pen test i know this happened to me a couple of times on a pen test have you ever ran into a, a position where you switch you have to switch hats from being a pen tester to doing forensics and report a breach that they didn't know that they had and, and you've seen traces on a server
0: um actually um I want to say this, this, this: something like this happened recently, where we did a pen test, and we saw, like, you know, we saw some some issues, and then they invest, like, well, I didn't investigate it um, mm-hmm. to that extent, but I was able to see that, you know, because of like the circumstances, externally. We found access a bunch, a, a bunch of stuff, mm-hmm. a bunch of different files laying around. Um, I told the client that, hey, look, you know, this is a pretty easy thing to exploit, and chances are you've probably been compromised by ser- okay. you know, several different dozens of people. You know, it's probably I didn't tell them this, but I was probably thinking I was thinking like it was probably a playground for for you know, um, you hack this network and you're you're in a group or something. I don't know. But
1: yeah. so so but, I yeah. was actually part of a part of a startup in California, um, and it was a voice over IP company, and there was a, a service provider. Well, they got compromised. One of their call servers got compromised. And the answer that I got when I told him he'd be disconnected in the sandbox was we'll just leave it as a honeypot. I'm like, wow, really? Like an operational server, an op server with, you know, trunks and legit like data. And you're going to turn into a sandbox, a honeypot. A honeypot? Really? <laughs> okay. Um, but I, I see that quite a bit. Wow. And then I had, um, I, so when you look at a client, right, what is the wildest response you've ever gotten from a vulnerability? Because I know I was doing one for <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, a hospital on the east coast and we found the same credentials being used for massive amounts of servers across their infrastructure and i went back and it was clear text the password is clear text username is clear text and i said you know you kind of have to stop this find a different way to communicate they're like oh you know we're not worried about that because we only have one admin account and they use that password for everything mm-hmm. I was like, really? Yes, yeah. yeah, so you share accounts. Like, you share admin accounts. It's great. <laughs> so what's the wildest thing you've ran into and had to explain that it's an actual vulnerability?
0: Yeah, I've dealt with a, with a, with a customer like that before where the IT guy was, like, uh, very defensive and made up an excuse for every single vulnerability that we came across. Mm. And I felt really <laughs> bad for the company because I couldn't, you know, all I can do is say, hey, this is what's wrong. This is what you. This is what could possibly happen. And that's my place, right? I can't. I can't go beyond that. And so I felt really bad because, you know, we saw this vulnerability year after year, mm-hmm. the same you know, the same pentest. And I was just like, wow. So, uh, you know, it's, I don't run across that scenario a lot, but that was one that I remember a lot where I had to like constantly explain that, you know, using the same local admin password across everything is, is bad. Opening SMB to the internet is bad, right? It's really bad. Uh, things like that. So. TeamViewer. TeamViewer uh, is yeah. bad. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
2: Oh. <laughs> What duty of care do you have as a pen tester for the client to actually, to help them fix up the problems? Like, is that all mapped out in the scope of the engagement or like, what's, uh, what's typical for you?
0: I'm sorry. What was that? You said, what's the, Uh, the duty of care, like
2: the, what,
0: the mitigation tactics,
2: Like, how much falls back onto you for them fixing it up? Like,
0: is that nothing? Gotcha. Um, well, I mean, we. What? Well, I'm sorry. I think I still lost a little bit in terms of like the, like you said, a mitigation. Like, how do how do we Wait, recommend?
2: Yeah, okay, you you tell them. Okay, this is what's wrong. This is how you should fix it. Gotcha. How how what is the pen tester's duty of care to see that that gets, uh, gotcha, fixed? Like, is that something you need to worry <clears> about <throat> as a pen tester or is it just that's it from
0: that that's
1: point? That's it. That's it. Yeah.
0: Yep. Huh, happy days. It, it's cool. it's, cool. it's cool. But it, yeah, I mean,
1: it goes, it goes back to like, um, you know, having taken a case to a specialist, right? A legal case to a specialist, having him look it over, and then going to the judge and having him look it over. And so everybody's involved in a process, so nobody's responsible. Um, mm-hmm. With pen testers, we identify the problem. It's their infrastructure, it's their responsibility, it's their licenses, it's their patching servers, mm-hmm. it's their data. Um, so we give them the advice on how to fix it and it's built into every report, you know, to mm-hmm. mitigate this, you need to patch it to this level, specific version or whatever. Um, and after that, it's up to them, um, that exactly. goes in the report. It shows how many criticals and highs and they have to atone for, for whatever, through whatever compliance. And usually like you can build, I usually build into yeah. like my, my statements of work and contracts to where. I'll give them a reduced price right. to come back in and verify that everything's been taken care of. Yep, I um, just want to say that. I mean, that, that's that's a natural entryway into further business. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Remediation testing.
0: None.
2: Yep. I think it's about removing that emotion from it, not becoming emotionally invested in the.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: It's black. It's black <laughs> and white. Like you have to report it like it's black and white. <laughs> um, in, in the reports, I always tell like junior pen testers never put, I believe, or I think mm-hmm. it is, if it's in black and white, it's in data. It is do not mm-hmm. leave room for skepticism or, you know, right. any, any other nonsense because they will try to push it. Um, they exactly. see 14,000 eternal blue vulnerabilities on our network. They're going to want to like find a way to get that brush under the rug. And exactly. I've even been offered more money on a pen test to make <laughs> results go away. Um, and that, thats the industry. You know, a lot of people, right. a lot of people rely on those compliances to to get funding mm-hmm. for their business or to function.
0: Yep, I've heard of that a lot. Mm-hmm. I haven't been offered money, but I've heard of like other people being offered money, like because if they were to not be PCI compliant, then they would lose this huge contract mm-hmm. and all kinds of things just fall apart. So I've I've heard of that a lot.
1: Yeah, it happens every day. And then you get CISOs that, you know, they have to report that pen testing report to the board, you know, once Mm -hmm. a year. And if it looks bad, I mean, they're willing to do whatever they can to fix it. So those Mm -hmm. are the companies you want to look for to try to get business from because they're willing to pay out the wazoo for a good run. Is once a
2: year like a a typical time frame for these pen
1: tests? What are you running into, out? as far as schedule, what do you run into as, as far as compliance stuff goes?
0: Yeah, so especially for PCI, we typically see like once a year pen tests, um, even though we, we, we highly, especially with the product now, we, we push like continuous and we try to get like somewhere very close so that they're, they're not having to like spend the same price four times or whatever, like once a quarter. But uh, but I, I usually see once a year. I don't know if I've ever really done a um, an assessment for a client twice in the same year unless there's like a retest for like PCI or something like that within 90 days.
1: Yeah. With, with federal stuff, you'll usually do it probably once a year, Mm -hmm. um, with financial, sometimes it can be quarterly. It depends on the business unit you're testing. Mm -hmm. Um, and DOD, I believe is one year or maybe bi-yearly. Um, but they have to have a third party to have to put out a RFP. Um, so GSA contracts and and scheduling is, is different than commercial. Mm -hmm. Um, it just depends on the industry, really. And gaming is constant. Like those guys, I, I know some casinos that will constantly have a revolving door for pen testing and pen, mm-hmm. test, pen test companies. They won't mm-hmm. stick to one.
0: Yep. A year
2: seems like a very long time. Like, especially if I look and see how many new tools and new exploits come out every day, a year just seems like.
1: It's like a lifetime. What, so so yeah, <laughs> that goes back to one of the biggest complaints I have with return on investment, right? So nobody wants to finance their security groups within their company because they dump money into this cybersecurity. They don't see any return. Mm-hmm. All they see is, <laughs> well, we haven't right. breached, so maybe we can cut back on funding now and, and you know, we'll be fine. Right. And the return on investment is when you do get breached, how bad is the breach?
4: Mm-hmm. How
1: long does it last? Um, exactly, but they don't see immediate return on investment. Um, and I'm, I hope they get away from the idea. I think with solar winds, people may start to rethink that business model. Of well, you know, it, we haven't been hacked in ten years. Why should we dump, mm-hmm. you know, a half a mil into cybersecurity? Well, yep. you know, when you look outside the window and you see the rest of the world being compromised, well, there you go. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: and it's really up to the pen tester too. I've been brought into companies to do a sample pen test, and just to give them the shock and awe to give them get them sold on MSSP or, you know, some type of you know scheduled routine pen testing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Same here too. We do the same thing literally almost
0: on a daily basis. You know, like showing them that value um, so that they can actually realize that this could potentially save them, you know, from a pretty serious situation down the road. You know,
1: and it blows my mind how many companies don't really realize the impact of a breach, like. A lot of people that they'll listen to you, but until you do the demo and show them how effective it is and actually give them something tangible, mm-hmm. they don't believe it. And then when they do believe it, they're shocked and they're scared and they want to dump money. And I'm like, you know, if, if you would just open your mind just a little bit and listen to what we have to say,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it doesn't have to be all at once, it's going to be a gradual effect. Exactly. Um, but they wait until the last minute, and usually that's that's way too late. Yep. Um, Keith says a lot. Let do pen tests for risk every quarter, internal pen tests for regulation every year uh, for external, and that's true. It depends on uh, government guidance and compliance. I know that the federal agencies have their own scheduling for um, testing and their own requirements for RFPs and bids. Um, and in a commercial world, there's really not a whole lot relying on scheduling besides PCI, mm-hmm. um, but there's also disclosure for breaches. Uh, so you can schedule a pen test every quarter and save yourself some heartache when it comes to breach disclosure.
2: So I've got a question for Alton and you, Mike. Uh-huh. Um, of the vendors, the vendor, pro- like platform and products that are out there, which is the, has you found the most challenging in a pen test and which, uh, if you, are you allowed to say this? And which has been the absolute worst? Like
1: what's rubbish? Hmm. Like when you're talking like a company or a technology?
2: Like, a, like say someone's got a Sentinel-1 Sentinel set up as their, their thing. or you know. If you can't answer this question, that's okay. We can do sign language. I can.
1: <laughs> I may not be able to, but I can. <laughs> Mer- Meraki. I hate Meraki. I, I really can't stand Cisco Meraki. It's really a pain in the ass when it comes to rogue access points. And the reason why is because it does its job. Um, (laughs) and, and that, that makes things a little frustrating for a pen tester. So that,
2: and, um, I
1: really like, uh, so I, I always say this in, in all of my talks is I don't hate Microsoft. I love Microsoft because it's kept me in business for over 20 years. So anything, Microsoft XP, I've had point of sale systems that wrote on top of XP clients. I'm all for it. Like that's my favorite vulnerability is Windows.
0: <laughs> I can I can totally agree with you. I'm sure Trami is tired of me saying, you know. My yeah, we have up. a
3: Slack channel, and I hear it all the time from the red team, the blue team. It's like Windows this, Windows that.
1: Yeah. I love Windows. They yeah. keep us in business. If it wasn't for them, we'd yeah. be broke. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yep. Exactly, and that's pretty
0: much all I can say about that.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it's definitely hard to 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 sell um, offensive security in the market, right? Because the way I see it, it's almost like, you know, getting your tires fixed, right? No one wants to do it until they have to, and unfortunately, I f- like a lot of the small businesses that we talk to that's where their mindset is at. they they don't understand it. So for them, it's like, well, like they don't see the value in it until something bad happens. And at mm-hmm. that point, it's too late, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Some
3: of these bigger companies with more data, I feel like they have to, but I mean, the, you know, 58 million small businesses out there for them, cybersecurity is like the last thing on their mind, which I, I, I think is kind of sad, but it's, that's why I think it's so hard to be in this industry sometimes, is to sell it to, to others, right?
1: To yeah. sell it to business units is the hardest part. Uh, the bureaucracy behind it, especially when you go into like a financial institution or government, uh, be able to sell a platform to a large corporation or somebody with that m- much bureaucracy – it really takes knowing somebody to, to get into certain spots, and especially with yeah. federal government. Like if you don't know somebody, it's all, it always it's all goes politics. down all who you
3: know, exactly. Right. It's always who, you know,
1: right. yep. Yep. and that's the way the industry is as, as a whole. Like, so I was, uh, me and Steve were sitting on a award ceremony and uh, listening to different vendors talk about what the kids could do with their lives and, and, and jobs and whatnot. And what really struck me was these relationships are started early um, and it really does take knowing somebody sometimes to, to, to get a start. And it's sad that that that's the way that it works. Um, yep. But with challenges like the the matrix challenge and, and having that many kids, 47,000 kids participated in hack the box competition for the matrix challenge um, in the U.S. I S I don't know a whole lot of that that goes on. Um, that's not centered around a conference. But this is a national thing that the UK does to to get people involved in cybersecurity and stuff like that. But I think if if we as a community put more effort into designing stuff like that for kids and building that pipeline into you know business and, and into startups and into that entrepreneurial mindset, we could be a leader in cybersecurity. Um, right now our market's like really diluted with with vendors who have been there forever. Um, they're tied into big business. So they're not going anywhere and really they produce zero innovative products anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. They just take up market space. Uh, so if we can get more people involved in the pipeline and more creative kids, um, I think that'll change because people are really tired of the same snake, and, you know, snake oil and, and smoke and mirrors of, you know, here I have this little box that can protect you against APT. What's in the box? Oh, well, I can't tell you, but I'm going to charge you 50 grand for it. Right. Um, I think those days are over. I think that now we're hitting transparency and, and kids want to know, you know, they're, they're curious. And that's, I mean, I think the market and the industry is going to change drastically in the next 10 years. So on this panel, let's see. Trammy has a degree, right?
3: I do, I do. So Cham, I went to yeah, I went to college for four years, and then I got my master's uh, in '07.
1: Master's? I thought that yeah. was a golf tournament. Um, tra- <laughs> I, I know Cham has her her uh, degree because I was at that yeah. graduation. Um, Ryan is like a perpetual student.
2: Bachelor of Arts in music production.
1: Uh, So I think me and Alton are probably the only, (laughs) the only ones who don't have a degree on this panel is me and Alton. Um, And it's funny that, that we are the ones who don't have a degree uh, because pen testers, there's not a whole lot of pen testers I've seen that have degrees. Like they, they rely on certifications uh, because that's Mm -hmm. what the industry asks for. Uh, Exactly. But that's such a scam. I really wish there was some regulation body that was over uh, certification companies because it's become highway robbery. You know, 10 grand to sit for a five day course where they teach you basically nothing that I could learn out of a manual. Like that, that that's robbery. That's robbery.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's
1: COVID prof- profiteering. You know? Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, you have to pay to play the game, right? So they want these kids to be invested. So they say, well, you know, you need X amount of search before we can give you a job. If you're coming out of school, tell me what student post-student loans has made to drop 10 grand on certification. It doesn't right. exist. And when you have people like, you know, I, I was asked to write a course for EC Council and I started writing it and I started thinking about it. And I was like, you know, certifications as a whole is an industry. And I can't say that I agree with the industry because to me, it goes back to the book of Eli, right? I'm, I don't know if you've seen the movie or whatnot, but um, the, the knowledge should be free. The knowledge should be passed down. It shouldn't be something that, that we sit on and go, Oh, we can capitalize on this. We're going to create our own, our own certification to teach people how to use Donald Dick and, and, and break into 20 year old networks. Like I remember looking at Ceh version one and they're using tools like Donald Dick and, and uh, the Mail Bomber, the Unibomber. I mean, it, that stuff has stopped years ago. But they're making certifications around it and making big money. Right. Um, so what does that tell people, that, you know, getting into cybersecurity? Well, if I can pass a test, I can get a Lexus.
2: I think that guy that scoured the internet for the free resources and taught himself everything is worth way more than someone who's just gone and paid fifteen ninety nine dollars for the month or whatever the courses were. But how do you show right. that to an employer? How do you go, yeah, well, I researched everything myself. I learned it. I found the resources.
1: Like, uh, what no I ever- did was I just challenged the test. And right. it, it pissed Sands off. And and they tried to tell me I was cheating because I passed five tests in one day. And I was like, no, <laughs> your tests suck. Like, they really suck. And uh, they put – grand they didn't get it from you,
2: buddy.
1: Yeah. Oh. And they, well, it's because <laughs> to, to challenge the test back then, this is before they had, like, proctored events where you could take it online. Um And the test, I believe, was like $300 a pop as opposed to spending $1,500 a week for one certification. So I thought, you know, I I know this stuff. I looked at the syllabus and thought, I'll just challenge it and see what happens. I'll challenge the first one. If I pass it, I'll buy two more. And Mm -hmm. that two became multiples. And I get a phone call from SANS saying that I couldn't download my cert because it had to put me through an ethics board to make sure I didn't cheat. And I thought, you know, this is horrible. But that's, <laughs> that certification, that certification right now. Like they make you go take a test. They make you go to a proctoring center and you got to take time out of your schedule. They're not paying for it. That's a requirement right. to have a job. And I, I don't think that's fair. I think that people should be able to come to communities like this and learn and get free knowledge. And if you want to secure the internet for the future and you want to secure the internet for, for children and for, for people, why are you charging for certifications on how to secure it? It seemed like that would be like counterintuitive, right? I don't know. It's just me. I could go on a rant for days about certifications. (laughs) So, but anybody getting into industry, there are certain requirements. Um, Some of us were here before the industry was an industry. And so we kind of got grandfathered in and they feel sorry for us. Um, But you're going to have to have some sort of certification. Just trust me on this. There's uh, documentation out there. There's manuals you can download. There's study guides that will prep you for your test. And you can challenge your test on your own. There's no reason to spend 10 grand on a course unless you really just don't know the material and you can't learn it. Mm-hmm.
3: That's a really good point. Yeah.
1: So anybody else? Um, let's see. Then how to get the appropriated learning without being scammed. Okay, that's cool. another, that's a completely different issue. Um, how many people on this panel have been approached on LinkedIn by somebody from a foreign country and said, what certifications do you want every day, <laughs> at least twice a day? You know, hey, do you, do you want a certification? We offer these. And I'm like, no, I don't. And, you know, if your company was worth its weight, you wouldn't be cold calling people on LinkedIn. Um, All right. Just look at the jobs that you want. Do some market research, look at, you know, pe- people who, ha- who hold those positions and talk to them yep. um, and get involved in a community like our community or, or whoever's community and uh, get to know the people that, that hold those actual jobs.
3: I think that's key right there is to know what mm-hmm. you want. Because we recently um, interviewed, you know, a, a group of students that graduated from a cyber boot camp. And, you know, we we've interviewed some that really knew what they wanted, you know, they're like, yeah, we... I'm really into the the offensive side. I want to be a pen tester. So it's like, it's easier to get the resources and the mentorship that you need need when you know where you want to go. And then we've got some students that are so new to cyber. They're like, well, everything seems interesting, you know, so, Mm -hmm. um, and they don't know where they want to go yet. So I always tell them the first thing to do is like, find out what you want. Right. Mm -hmm. And then go from there. But, uh, you know, some of them know, and then some people don't, you know, I, I didn't know what I wanted to get into until recently. So, (laughs) so yeah, I think, I think that's the key right there. And I think you hit the nail on the head with that comment is like, find out what you want and then Mm -hmm. reach out to that person and then figure out how they got to where they are.
1: So here's the question for the panel, um, role models and why Let's start with Ryan.
2: Role models as in who are mine or what do I think? Um, I think we hear a really interesting thing, the whole niche thing, like, because I'm super new to that, like actually working in this industry and that, that came back so many times. Oh, what is it that you actually want to do? And like, it's such a broad topic. Like I, I challenge each one of you guys in the panel to actually just help one person out say, like make that decision. Like if so, it's, it's such a hard thing to figure out when you first start, because what do you, there's so much stuff. What do you concentrate on? So, I just started concentrating on everything and until something stuck. So. Mm-hmm. But you know, I had a little bit of help. Thanks, Mike. You
1: know? yeah, so that, that brings up a good point for me. Um, what about, like, <laughs> you know, in the military, we have the ASVAB, right? For the US. Mm-hmm. Is there a way to, to easily gauge kind of where someone has an aptitude? Well, there, there is, right? So when you look at, like, OSCP, um, and they set up, you know, you have a lab environment, you have a, a testing schedule to go by. Um, you have an end of, end of testing timeframe. Um, they want to see how you operate within the offensive environment. Uh, so there's, there's those types of tests, but there's no really like test that says, okay, um, you want to get into cybersecurity. Here's the different princi- uh, principles in cybersecurity. Let's see how you test, um, and maybe that might be a, something that, that might be good, you know, give like a mixture of questions and then see where people's mindset really falls in. Um, because that, that can be a tough decision, right? If, if you're not geared for blue team, if they stuck me on a blue team, I would go absolutely fucking insane. Like there's no way I could do it. Um, so I, there should be something that, to help gauge, to help people gauge where they, they believe they should, they should be um and give you data to prove yeah that that's definitely the type of person you are and i think it goes back to personality as well um i was talking to kids earlier today and i was telling them that you know it's it's all about psychology right what how do you think you know when you address a problem what, what do you look at um and it takes a special person to be able to do the red team it takes a special person to do blue team and no one's better than the other it's just you try to switch those roles with people who are who are wired for those specific roles and you're going to have feral cats running around like there's no control after that because i would go absolutely insane um so alton role model yeah um uh, who do i look up to or I'm... yeah yeah. like when you look at your career who do yeah. you model yourself after like what traits do you go after and, and who has those traits that you're trying to model
0: yeah i think uh for me i'll, I'll try to like you know stay humble of course um i do like to Give back too. So when people come up to me to ask questions, it's crazy because like, know, I do photography. I Have a, a good amount of followers on, on Instagram, mm-hmm. and from time to time, people reach out and be like, "Hey man, I know you probably won't respond to this, but like, how did you get started?"
1: Yeah,
0: I always take the time to respond. You know, yeah. always doesn't. Care. I don't care how busy I get because I know I was in the same shoes at one point as well. So I mm-hmm. always want to give back, help, uh, be humble. You know, just I just want to succeed, and I just want people around me to succeed. And you know, so that's kind of like how I I have been and how I try to stay. I don't have to try to stay that way, but that's you know, that's all I am.
1: Yeah, gotcha. Chan, what about you? as far as role models go in cybersecurity, what 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 traits or what person do you think has those traits that that you wanna model your career and, and your existence in cybersecurity after?
4: I don't I think I could say I don't really have a role model. Um I follow a lot of people on LinkedIn because they each and every one of them have like different traits different characteristics that I can learn from so you know they either have their own company or they work for a company mm. and they're involved in a lot of things that are part of cyber security and feeding inf- free information like knowledge like hey do this hey do that like it's, it's nice stuff to pick up on so I don't really have a role model but I like mm. to look at Different people for different things.
1: Gotcha. Jeremy, what about you?
4: Um, so I don't have one in
3: cybersecurity, because I'm very much like um, like Chum in that aspect. I follow so many people and I'm like a sponge. I just want to learn a little bit from everyone because I think you can learn a little bit from everyone. Um, but I I do really like Alan Watts when you mention role model. Um, so he is a uh, Western philosopher that introduced a lot of like um, Buddhism and uh, Eastern culture to Uh, to Western culture and there's a lot of talks that he gave that are just very enlightening and they really resonate with me just like it's just broader things like things like how do you find your purpose in life how do you you know what's the meaning of happiness Um, so I find like a lot of those big questions um, he answers and it helps me kind of like find myself and then from there I just find like-minded individuals that I can kind of learn and grow with and just surrounding myself by positive people. Um, all the time, is kind of the the path that I take. I always try to go with good energy. I'm, re- I'm a huge believer in that. So anywhere where there's like positivity, good people, like good vibes, sharing knowledge, um, and like uniting, I think humans are the best when we can work together, mm. understand our strengths and weaknesses, and understand that we don't have to know everything, and it's okay. Um, And then to learn from others. I think that's the best thing. And that's why I'm a part of this podcast, because I feel like everyone here is just so nice and open to just connecting and learning from each other. So in a sense, I feel like everyone in my life that I've gotten to know through this community and in cybersecurity, you all have been a role model at some point in my life.
1: So that's scary.
3: (laughs) I don't think it's scary. I think it's great.
1: <laughs> so so my role model is thor because thor carries a big band hammer
3: <laughs> yes
1: <laughs> no seriously um i i don't know I, I think that as far as like um role models go in the industry i have people like real people in the industry that, that i look up to um R. snake jeremiah grossman uh ralph Eschmandia. Um, good friends of mine that, that have given me bits and pieces of, of knowledge as I went along and Jason street as well. Jason street was really instrumental when I started speaking and was kind of like super nervous about speaking and being on a stage or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so him, him and Roth really helped uh, cultivate that and, and make things easier. A few tips that that helped. Um, but I think as far as uh, you know, other role models go, I would have to say uh, probably JFK as one of them um, because he wasn't afraid to stand up for what he believed in. And I think that Agreed. Um, with, there, so there's, there's a terminology or a motto that I like to go by. It's if you don't stand for something, you fall for everything. Um, so I think that's important for, for people to, to think about when they get into the industry is that every, our industry is very ego driven um, very, very ego driven, very cutthroat, very competitive, very I know more than you type deal.
3: I know it's hard to find friendly people in this industry. <laughs> I know it
1: really is. <laughs> so, so, so you, why... have, you have to be stoic, right? So, that's one thing I've had to learn with grace over the past uh, couple months through a fire hose is that, you know, it's not always graceful to fight back and, and you have to just be stoic. And I think that some of the people that showed that throughout history in the U S is like Abraham Lincoln and JFK and people like that, that faced diversity and, and really stuck their guns. You know, they, they didn't change for anybody. And that's, that's just the way it is. And I think that in our industry, you have to do that to make a name for yourself, like stick to what you believe in research it, back it up with data and present it and fight for what you believe in.
2: Did you encourage
1: that? Yeah. Yeah. Multi, multi, multiple times.
3: Alton, can you figure out how to automate that?
0: Other <laughs> right?
1: I think it's already been automated. It, it was automated against us.
2: <laughs> I found the actual the reverse. I found wonderful people in this industry. Like I came from the music industry where everyone's all about them and it's just sycophants and big egos everywhere. And I found the cybersecurity industry a refreshing change. Like the. Like the ratio of wankers to good people is
1: really good. Like, yeah, but, yeah. But those oh trolls, man. those trolls can be a headache, man. They really oh, can. Yeah. God. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, and then you get people who uh, I, I hate the term, and I refuse to be called this on any podcast or any conference. Is a subject matter expert. Mm. So when someone uses the word expert, it's a total turnoff. Don't, if you're getting into the industry and you make it to a point where you're speaking and and people look for your advice, never call yourself an expert, please. Um, Because none of us are new technology comes out as we're speaking right now. I'm sure there's like two or three technologies being released that we know absolutely nothing about. So to call ourselves experts is kind of egotistical. Agreed. So anything else from the people that are watching, Uh, if you want to post another question in chat, we'll address it. Um, So Port Slug says a lot of people want to be a pen tester since it is fun and sexy. I appreciate the compliment, Port Slug. Like I didn't know you felt that way, (laughs) but yeah, it it happens. I'm kidding. Um, They do. They see what they see on TV, like NCIS and, and, you know, uh, and we talked about this and the thing with the kids today is that uh, you know our jobs aren't always uh, neon green matrix code falling from the sky you know it's right. it's reporting it's it's 24-7 work it's working in two different time zones at the same time um, right getting traveling. up at, yeah traveling getting up at 5 a.m to give a conference overseas I mean it's a lot of work. It it truly is. And that's why I say, if you don't have a passion for it and you're doing it just for the money, be prepared to prepare yourself for burnout because it takes a passion to get through some of those long hours and some of that, the hard work. Very true. Yep, exactly. Yep. Um, I don't have anything else. anybody else have anything? Uh, one more question. So, so Colin Gr- Colin uh, Hardy uh, did this thing uh, with I can't remember who he was interviewing, uh, but he would say a word, and, and the first word that popped into mind, uh, you know, the person ask, answering a question should answer it. So I got something a little different. If you were a superhero, Marvel or DC, who would it be? Alton first. Oh, I'm so bad at this part. Oh man,
0: I don't know. I know that's kind of lame, but
3: (laughs) I would see you as like an Iron Man, really big into tech, nice cars,
2: (laughs) suave as GitHub. GitHub says it all, man. (laughs) 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 So what about you? you?
3: Um, so I'm a fan of the Scarlet Witch um so there's not much about her but she's she's super powerful and yeah she's she's my favorite
1: cool champ what about you i
4: think it has to be wonder woman
1: wonder woman i I can see that ryan what about you
2: i'm dc man batman (laughs) no superhero it's just enough enough capital mate you can get make anything happen you
1: know right Yeah. Totally down with that. I was about to say the same thing. Batman because he's not really a, a superhero; he's more like a, a tech wizard. Um, yeah. And my other favorite is Deadpool, the the oh. unsuperhero. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He, he carries the big band hammer too. Totally dig that. <laughs> I
2: woke up at like three o'clock in the morning the other day to watch Deadpool
1: because I couldn't sleep. No, perfect. Nice. So, Alan, do you have any questions for us? Um, feel free to, you know, this is an open forum. And, and I mean, this is how we work. It's an open community and we speak freely and that's just the way it is. So if you have any questions for us, shoot away.
0: Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't think I have any questions, you know, I just uh just want to, you know if anybody has any questions for me, even outside of this, you know, I just want to be available. I know sometimes, um, you know, kind of asking some questions that people may seem personal, uh, may think some people may, ex- some people may want to ask questions that they think are too personal, mm-hmm. but I'm super transparent. right? I don't have anything to hide. I don't have any knowledge that it, that's just sitting in the corner somewhere. Like, Oh, <laughs> you know, so I just, I just want to help. So, I mean, if anybody has any questions about like how to get in the industry, how is it like starting your own business or like, you know, what my path was even further. I mean, I'm glad to like, you know, talk about that. So uh,
1: how can people get a hold of you um, email address or, or website or Twitter? What do you prefer?
0: <clears throat> yeah. Um, probably Twitter. I think Twitter, well, probably LinkedIn. I'm, I'm more on LinkedIn. I wake up and I look at LinkedIn. I don't really look at Twitter too much nowadays. There's a lot of like stuff. <laughs> yeah. 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 But LinkedIn is a, uh, is a good one. So I also have a personal website. If you want to go to ltonj.io, uh, cool. you know, uh, Trammy, So, you know, so that's basically my personal story. There's some contact information on there. Um I'm into photography, cars, you know, and cool. testing. So, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. My, my... Jay, yeah, that... yeah. yeah, my my website kind of sucks right now, boo. but we're working, that. we're
2: working
3: on it. We're working on it.
1: We're working on it. So with that being said, um, Alton, I really appreciate you taking the time to to spend your Saturday evening with us and and uh, welcome to the haunted house. Finally, um, yeah, I'm really excited to see what happens with uh, with the product and and if you guys you know eventually sell or or you know what happens. It's exciting, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely appreciate the opportunity too. And yeah, definitely stay tuned. You know, we have some amazing, like I'm full of ideas. Like I feel like we're just getting started with the you know <laughs> with everything. So there's so much more stuff that I want to bring to the product. So uh, yeah, I Very appreciate cool. the opportunity.
1: If, if you need some help or, or you want some, somebody to, to be a sounding board, I'm sure that you can uh, hit me up or, or bounce off the community. So that's what we're here for. Absolutely.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks, uh, I appreciate it.
3: Yeah. Thank Definitely. you everyone. Thank you guys thank for you. tuning in today on your Saturday. I, I'm amazed that people show up. So thank you guys so much for, for coming and joining the podcast today.
1: See you guys next weekend. All
3: right, have a great weekend everyone.